Consider what you say. Have you ever said something and then thought afterwards, that was a silly thing to say. Why did I speak those words? I think we've all done it a few times in our lives, despite our best efforts to watch our speech. And then we have to live with the consequences. Jephthah can relate to this, and there's much we can learn from his story as we read in Judges 11. This chapter teaches us a lot about considering what we say. It opens with an introduction of Jephthah, telling us that he's a great warrior, but he came from a fractured family as he was the son of a prostitute. To prevent him from stealing any of their father's inheritance, Jephthah's half-brothers chased him away from the family, leaving him landless and alone. But this isn't the end of his story. It wasn't long until the Ammonites attacked Gilead, and in fear for their lives, the elders of Gilead came to Jephthah and begged him to be their commander to fight off their enemy. How would you feel if the very people who had chased you away now begged you to return? Those who had said in no uncertain terms, you're not part of us, get out. Now they had the audacity to ask for your help. It's as if the elders forgot all about what they'd said just a few years before. Of course, when they'd said it, everything was fine. There was no war on their doorstep. There was no one breathing fire against them and threatening their homes and their families. They probably never even imagined when they spoke those ugly things that they'd ever have to turn around and ask that person to rescue them. But here they were, asking Jephthah to lead them in battle against their enemy. But Jephthah remembered and reminds them of their earlier words. Aren't you the ones who hated me and drove me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you're in trouble? Without missing a beat, the elders replied, because we need you. Basically, they're saying, we didn't need or want you before, but now things are tough for us and we want you back. They never hinted at an apology for the pain and anguish they'd caused. They never uttered one word of remorse for their harsh words. They were selfish before and they're still selfish now. And Jephthah knows their character and speaks to them directly to ensure that they're not going to back out of their promise. Let me get this straight, he says. If I come with you and the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? Not only is Jephthah seeking clarification, but he's declaring that the victory will belong to the Lord. He's giving God the glory if he's successful in battle. But he's also ensuring that not only are they asking him to lead them in battle, but they're also giving him authority over them, making him their ruler. The elders' agreement will ensure that Jephthah will be restored to his people and to his land, a position in place that they'd stolen from him years before. To seal their commitment and the veracity of their words, the elders answer, the Lord is our witness. We promise to do whatever you say. They made a vow before the Lord to reunite Jephthah to his people. To ensure that they wouldn't back out, 
Jephthah repeated the words of the elders in front of all the people of Israel who were assembled at Mizpah, awaiting the battle with the Ammonites. Jephthah needed to speak these words out in front of everyone. For if we read, the elders have promised in Judges 10.18 that the first person to attack the Ammonites will become ruler of the people of Gilead. Yet, we recall that the elders came to Jephthah initially with only the offer of being their general in battle, not their leader. They originally asked him to do all the heavy lifting, but not have the honor of leadership. But Jephthah knew what they'd said earlier, and so called them on it. You will make me ruler and commander, he said. You will utterly and completely restore me to the people and listen to me, not just in battle, but in the future leadership of the people. Now we get to some more interesting conversations between Jephthah and the Ammonites. At first, Jephthah asks the Ammonites why they want to fight. What's their problem and can it be resolved another way? In response, the Ammonites answer, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they stole my land from the Arnon River to the Jabbok River and all the way to the Jordan. Now then, give back the land peaceably. Perhaps the Ammonites are hoping that the battle can be avoided if Gilead will just return the land. But Jephthah knows his history and he recounts it in detail, leaving the Ammonites in no doubt that their request is ludicrous. He reminds them that Israel didn't steal any land. They had faithfully and humbly asked first the king of Edom and then the king of Moab if they could peacefully pass through their region, but both kings refused. Forcefully then, forcefully, the Israelites had to travel around their areas. Then they peacefully requested the king of Ammonites to pass through their land as well, but they didn't just refuse. This king mobilized their army and attacked Israel. But God gave Israel victory against their aggressors, enabling the Israelites to take all their land, the very area that the king of Amnon now wants back. It had been won in battle. Thus Jephthah concludes. So you see, it was the Lord, the God of Israel, who took away the land from the Amorites and gave it to Israel. Why then should we give it back to you? Then Jephthah turns this into a spiritual battle, equal to that spoken of by Paul in Ephesians 6.12, saying, you keep whatever your God Shemosh gives you, and we will keep whatever the Lord our God gives us. Further, Jephthah reminds them of the foolhardy Balak, king of Moab, who attempted to curse Israel over disputed land, but lost that spiritual battle as well as the physical battle too. Moreover, Jephthah reminds them that Israel has held this land for 300 years, so why are they now contesting the ownership of this region? Then Jephthah concludes, let the Lord, who is judge, decide today which of us is right. What a great word to say when there's a dispute. Let the Lord judge between us. Jephthah was clearly a godly man who gave the Lord glory over the past, 
present, and future. And it was by the spirit of the Lord that he amassed an army to fight against the Amorites. But despite his faithfulness, still he spoke without thinking, without pausing to consider the power and the possible consequences of his words. Yes, it was in recognition of how important this battle was to him and how much was at stake, not just his life, but his future and his restoration to his family and his people. You could even say that Jephthah wanted to honor God by surrendering all to him. Nonetheless, it was a foolish vow. For he said, Lord, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. The first part would have been acceptable. Whatever comes out of my house, I'll give to you, Lord. But why offer something or someone else and not offer yourself? Moreover, Jephthah goes on to sacrifice it as a burnt offering. One has to wonder, what does he think will come out of his house that would be an acceptable burnt offering to the Lord? For the Lord does not ask for human sacrifice. In fact, he finds it abominable. And since Jephthah knows Israel's spiritual and political history, it is undoubtedly true that he would know this too. So why would he speak so rashly? Perhaps he was desperate to have God answer his request. Certainly he never imagined what would take place and what his harsh vow would lead to. Yet God gave the Israelites absolute victory over the Ammonites, ensuring that Jephthah would see himself assured of the position of ruler over his people. But tragedy strikes. As he returns home, his daughter, his only child, comes out to celebrate his victory. Devastated, Jephthah knows what this means and cries out to her, you have completely destroyed me. You've brought disaster upon me. Not only will Jephthah lose his beloved daughter, but as his only child, he will lose the opportunity for his descendants to rule after he's gone. But he's trained his daughter well in the ways of the Lord, and she submits to his vow. However, both Jewish and Christian scholars argue that it's unlikely that Jephthah sacrificed his daughter, for such an act would be in complete violation of God's ordinances. In fact, careful reading of the scriptures suggests that, indeed, Jephthah's vow had two sections, dedicating what comes out to greet him or offering it as a sacrifice. Further, Jephthah's daughter asked that her friends weep for her virginity rather than for her life, suggesting that she will die without having the opportunity to marry and bear children, a role very important in the life of Jewish maidens. Additionally, scriptural interpretations suggest that her friends come to her annually to weep with her over her isolation and singleness. It also appears that this annual ritual only occurs while she is alive, as it's not institutionalized as a statute in Israel. Finally, we're told that she will never know a man, a point that would be unnecessary if she was in fact sacrificed but would be significant if she remained a virgin until her death. From the closing part of this chapter, we can see the importance of considering what we say. Never should we make a vow that is in violation of God's word. 
But throughout this chapter, we can see the significance of considering what we say, for the consequences may be severe. Let us then harness our mouth, as we're told to by James in James 3, or it will run us into trouble. Therefore, let's consider what we say before we bring devastation to our lives and to others. Amen, beloved. Amen.